Good morning, Vietnam. And if you don't understand that quote, neither do I really. It's a quote of a quote that from a movie I haven't seen, but it, it's got some relevance to what's going on here. So you'll you'll figure it out soon enough. I'm Max. It's 4:20 p.m. No pun intended. I, t- I tend to do this a lot at 4:20 actually for some random reason. Maybe in my head I'm like, hey, I can you know I can just splice that into the beginning and that'll be funny. But it's never that funny because I'm not like a pothead or I don't even smoke. So what do I even talk about? Although it's kind of more funny when people don't know what they're talking about when it comes to that stuff and they're trying. Like, oh, you don't you don't know anything at all. It's like in the forty year old virgin when uh main character is talking about having sex for the first time, he's like and her breast felt like a bag of sand. And everyone's like, Bag of sand? It's like you you're clearly a virgin. Ah, good stuff. But uh slept well. Watched a bunch of Hannibal last night. And, you know, I mean, it's about a ser- it's a serial killer, cannibal, psychologist, genius, you know, beautiful man. And it's kind of kind of weird <laughs> that uh I'm getting like into cooking now because I'm watching him cook lungs and heart and human stuff, but he's doing it in a really fancy way. He's got a nice tie on. He's got this beautiful kitchen with like fresh uh, flowers and, you know, it's just very ornate. It just seems like a lot of fun. So it's like I watch it and I'll be like slicing mushrooms. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing a good job. I'm being cool like Hannibal, even though he's eating people that he's murdered. So it's weird how <laughs> it's kind of bizarre how television influences us. It's like I'm dicing up vegan meals, but I'm like, this cannibal is inspiring me to do it. So just goes to show the power of TV and the power of the box, at least on me. I'm just highly influenced by anything. If I watch something next day, I want to do it. Like there was one, I think I watched Courage Under Fire when I was like 12, 13. I was like, I want to join the military and I can't fight. Like I don't have a shot a gun once, maybe two years ago. And it was fun, but uh, I wouldn't be good at in, in uh, chaotic situations. I'm a, I'm a better everyday kind of guy. I don't, do well under pressure like there's no pressure right here right now what i'm doing and i'm still still a little nervous as always i can tell my voice is kind of it's a little wavery like i always have the end of my sentences kind of go up and down and kind of there's not like a confidence there's not like a stephen a smith you know definitive i'm right you're wrong kind of vibe but when people talk like that i feel like they seem like jackasses and I guess that's some. I mean, that's a style, and that's a that's a way to go. But I prefer kind of neurotic, ping ponging in my head, kind of East Coast Jewish neuroticism is a little bit. It's more my speed. So you should just you should lean into who you are, and you know what you're good at. Stay in your lane. Dave Chappelle always said, "Stick in your lane." So this is my lane. Up, oh, and the girls clearly agree or they see a squirrel outside or another dog. It's so funny. It's like they act big and tough, but when they're actually outside, they have no, yeah, all that barking, all that, you know, chest puffing. It's just, it's just, you know, all bark, no bite. And hopefully they're finished. I think so. Okay. And they're done. Thank God. And to kind of counteract the Hannibal uh, weirdness of last night, I watched uh, Mr. Show, which is Bob Odenkirk and Dave Cross, kind of a, just a weird sketch comedy show. And I watched kind of a behind this, I watched a behind the scenes uh, episode and the amount of thought and dedication the writer's room put in 
towards these skits that are, you know, very silly. It's about like a kid uh, going on a talk show who had a near death experience and his, his view of heaven and how like everyone was there, including Hitler. And it's like, you know, it's very silly stuff or why Einstein stuck out his tongue, like uh, behind the music on that. And, you know, it seems very silly and juvenile and like they've just made it up on the spot and just, you know, produced it. But the amount of effort and sweat and discussion that goes into all these sketches, it just shows how hard comedy is. And it just, it made me, it got me inspired because it's like, rather than, we think that people are just naturally funny. And I think because there's a goofiness to it that we just kind of write it off as not as, not as profound as dramatic acting or dramatic performance. It's comedies like, ah, oh, whatever, you make a fart noise and, you know, you're hilarious. But there's really some, some, some TLC putting in there. So it inspired me to delve into the most influential comic TV character of the past two, de- two decades. You guess who it is? Do you, do you have an inkling? I said he, so I kind of gave away that. Well, he's brash, he's good-hearted, he's a dummy, and he loves paper products. Am I making it too hard? That's what she said. Well, it's Michael Scott from The Office, everyone's favorite Dunder Mifflin regional merit manager. And I don't know, just there's something, he struck a chord on so many levels of so many people. And it's so bizarre that someone in kind of the inflated uh, ego, dummy Ron Burgundy kind of uh, mold ended up being such a loving and endearing character. Because if you watch the first season, he's pretty stereotypically racist, homosexual, I mean, uh, homophobic and you know he has kind of you know general 1950s views on women in the office and he's just he's very unlikable you know the first season you're just you're just like this guy is the worst and you can tell everyone in the office has these kind of sour pusses on every time they look they have to deal with him he's indecisive he never wants to make the hard decision he flip-flops and he's just He's just very hard to love. And then by season seven, when he's leaving, we're all kind of in tears the way he is. And I think that partly has to do with Steve Carell's acting ability and the fact that he gives uh, Michael these little moments of humanity underneath. Because he's all, this character is all surface and no secret motives. He just desperately wants to be liked. He's, He's kind of aware that he's stupid, but he just wants, he, He's good. He wants to be good-hearted, but he kind of also wants to be in the cool crowd. So he'll say whatever he thinks will get him there. And all his uh, negative attributes are just from from not knowing. It's not like he's voluntarily mean or he like wants to be vicious or uh, stereotypically racist or stereotypically homophobic. I keep want to say homosexual, but uh, Oscar's a gay character in the show. Not not Michael. Although they do kiss in a very funny episode. I think it's called Gay Witch Hunt. And speaking of which, all this stuff, it's kind of crazy that this was only in 2005 to 2013, I believe. And if this show started in 2020, it would not make it past episode two. So just everything, everyone's a lot more aware. And there's a lot of humor involved in Michael's kind of not knowing that he's being offensive. And... I think that it was a product of the time too. I think, you know, internet wasn't as pre- prevalent. People didn't understand what they were doing was so, you know, 
inherently wrong. So it let the character, unfortunately for us, it, he got to grow as a character and kind of understand the people around him as people and not just, oh, that's the woman in the office or, oh, that's a black guy. I should make a black joke or like black don't crack. He so joked when uh, Stanley, the only Afri- African-American in the uh, office, uh, was having a birthday or he when Stanley was having a heart attack. Michael just yells at him. He's like, Obama's president. You can't die, Stanley. It's like, Jesus, dude. And you can tell, I mean, these are moments of panic. He's all surface. So that's what I, that's what I, that's what I love about Michael the most is that he's, he is what you get. There's no poker face. There's no ulterior motives. There's no secret agenda. And he's just obsessed with being liked. He has this one quote. He's like, I don't need to be liked. I like to be liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like my my obsession about being uh, about being needed, and that just that tells you everything about Michael you ever need to know. And like on his birthday, he makes sure everyone knows that it's his birthday, and he's he makes sure that he brought in donuts for everybody, just so he could tell everyone he's the kid in class that when he got like a high grade, like a ninety seven, he's like, oh, what'd you get? Waiting for you to ask him what he got because he wants to show off. And I did that because I, I was a jackass and I was a nerd and I was socially inept. So like when I had my moments to shine, uh, I wanted I wanted to flex, but I didn't know how to do it in a non-jackassy way. And I think we all see ourselves in Michael in that kind of way too, that he's he's just trying to get it. He's trying to uh, be part of the crowd and try to be liked. And he's because he's trying so hard, that's how he fails so miserably. But he never, he's like the wily e. coyote of uh, trying to be liked. He never gives up. You know, if he explodes, if he falls off a cliff, if he says the worst thing you could possibly say, he pushes through into the next joke. And I, I've learned actually, I'm reading uh, Steve Martin's book on comedy. And he's like, one of the main rules of comedy is push through the joke. Don't let it linger. Like no matter if it's good, no matter if it's bad, just push through. And Michael is like the ultimate in that he doesn't care. He says the wrong thing all the time. And then he pushes through like one of his quotes is I live by one rule, no office romances, no way, very messy, inappropriate. No, but I live by another rule. Just do it. Nike. And it's like, he doesn't care what he said last sentence. He's going to change it. <laughs> I mean, sometimes some, he says, sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I'll find it along the way. And that's, that's Michael. That is who he is. And he's very, he's very out there peacocking, very excited. You know, he gets sugar highs. He loves candy. He has the food palate of a five-year-old. There's something, it's like they Benjamin buttoned him that he's a seven-year-old running the office. So of course he's going to put his foot in his mouth and, you know, not understand girls and be terrified of sex. It's basically, yeah, no, it's basically the movie big. He's basically, Tom Hanks and big and, but there's a genuine niceness to him. And it kind of comes through in these small moments, like on the Halloween episode where he has to fire one of his uh, employees and, you know, he takes all, all day and can't do it. And he tries to fire like two different employees. And he, he literally gets pushed into not doing it because he's just so afraid of being hated by anybody. But at the end, he finally fires somebody and you see him at home on his couch and it's Steve Carell's probably best acting. He's just on the couch and he looks stoic. He almost looks like an action hero who's like been through war and this is how much it affects him. 
You know what I mean? He's just alone on the couch. He's got no loved ones or anyone around him because he's so abrasive of personality. And finally, some kids knock on the door to go trick-or-treating, and he turns on that kind of hyper childlike personality. He's like, hey, you guys look great. Oh, my God, what are you? Oh, well, here's some candy for you. And he's laughing. And you can tell that sometimes he has to put on a facade and that he's really hurting sometimes and that he's actually a human being. And you're like, Oh man, this guy I've been laughing at, you know, and you're not laughing with him. You're laughing at him the entire time. And finally you see him as a human being and then you get this other side to him. And I love when com like comics or uh, comedy shows do that. Like if anyone's ever seen the show scrubs, there's a scene where one of the doctors loses three patients due to a mistake. And, they have like one of the heaviest moments and this very kind of bubbly light show that has, you know, quick cutaways and fantasy projections and usually is lighthearted. And then when it hits you with the emotion, you're just like, Oh man, that really hits. And Michael Scott's does that multiple times throughout his seven seasons where you feel for this poor dummy and you realize he's a person, you know, they fully form as a, as a character. He's not a one trick pony. And I think they do that with everyone in the show. Because, I mean, Dwight in the beginning, who's Michael's number two, is uh, just a hard-ass, over-religious, uh, doesn't know anything outside of his kind of Amish upbringing, uh, kind of suck-up, do-gooder, work-hard, and no-play kind of guy. And over the years, he kind of slowly forms relationships and learns new things. And by the end of the show, I was a Dwight fan. And I never thought that the first couple of seasons. And I don't think you think that the first season with Michael. And by the end of it, you know, with Michael, you're crying as he's crying. As he, he even, what makes you love him so much is uh, when he finally has to leave the office where he's been working there for 19 years, he leaves the day before he told everyone he's going to leave because he couldn't handle emotionally leaving on the actual day. It was just going to be too much for him. And the guy that cares that much about, his surroundings and his little office, you know, it's this little dinky 12, 13 person uh, regional office in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And they're selling paper products for this company called Dunder Mifflin, which sounds like they sell mufflers or mittens or muffins. That's a gym. That's a gym quote. And uh, he just loves it more than life itself. And you love, I I love people that love their surroundings, despite what other people say, you know, he gets defensive. He wants to save it whenever they have trouble. He wants to uh, fix everything. He wants to make the big sale. He wants to, he wants to do good for the people around him and the people he cares about. And that's admirable. And it shines through over, you know, over a hundred episodes, I think. And I think we all, I think we all know Michael better than most people because this show is seriously rewatchable. You just put it on the background. You don't need to be even watching it. You just need to the sound on. I, I listen to it all the time. I'll just put it on uh, in my headphones and just do some like light cleaning around the house. And the jokes are still just as funny. The timing. I mean, you can tell everyone's well-versed in improv and they're just, I think Michael Schur, who also wrote Parks and Rec and also The Good Place was one of the main writers on this show. And I think Greg Daniels is the other creator. And you can tell they have a good structure of who these characters are, but they also kind of let them improvise and bounce off each other. And you can tell there's a genuine affection between the group as actors. And it's just, it's fun to hang out with these people because 
in that time period in like the early 2000s you know early 2010s the kind of drudgery of office life 40 hours a week with people you might not get along with or know otherwise but you're stuck in this kind of surrounding because this is modern living you know with lunch breaks and you know memo meetings and just drudgery and it's these people making the best of it and kind of letting their personalities uh keep them afloat during these uh during these kind of dull times and drab times of corporate officery and you know steve not steve uh michael scott you know his love of steve martin robin williams snl obsession is just he's a he's a beacon of light in an otherwise dreary kind of place he's trying to make it as much fun as possible in a in in an arena that's just not meant for fun. I mean, they're just, everyone else is taking it seriously and trying to to perform their jobs. And Mike's trying to make this a deaf, deaf jam comedy session. I mean, he wants everyone to laugh. He says, that's what she said over and over. Uh, That's probably his best line. I love that. He's, you know, sends email forwards to everyone with monkeys throwing feces or, you know, a hundred reasons why Michael Jackson might be your neighbor. You know, those terrible email chains. And he's trying to make it fun. I think Toby, who's the head of HR, describes it best once when he's like, Michael's like a movie on a plane. It may not be great, but it's on. And, you know, now that it's off, now what? It's true. It's like this office is this drab place, kind of like you're just waiting. You're basically waiting to die at that point. You know, you're just doing your drudgery of a job that no one wanted to be a paper salesman or in paper sales when they were a kid. And here they are, though, you know, living out their lives. Days become weeks, weeks become months, months become years. And they're kind of wasting their lives away here. And he's the only one who's trying to make a good time out of it. And despite everyone, you know, lackluster uh, enthusiasm towards his passion uh, and his kind of creativity towards making their lives a little bit more fun. And it is cringeworthy, though. I mean, if I was... If I was in an office too, I would have disdain for him because he is, he's bad at all. He's, I mean, even though he loves all these uh, comedy icons, his half witted impressions of them are really bad and sometimes very offensive. And, you know, they distract them from getting to work or doing uh, their job properly. And he's clearly not very good at his job either. So it's just, it's just the perfect combination of, I think he has like 51% admirable qualities and 49% qualities that are just reprehensible. And as a boss, you know, he's, he's one of those bosses that you can just walk over all over, but he's got no spine to him. And, you know, he has this haircut that makes him look like he's in third grade and he's got these cheap suits pressed all nicely. And he's got this encyclopedia knowledge of small talk details about everyone around him. Like he remembers a client's, daughter is allergic to cashews and he hadn't seen the client in like six years so it's like he has all these small kind of uh interests and you know these small details to him that makes him fully formed as just this character and so what else about michael scott let's talk about i mean it's kind of crazy that he loves he loves kids so much and he definitely wants to have a family terrified by sex women confrontation and it seems like he's very provincial. Like he doesn't, he thinks that, that uh, when he has a family, he's like, I want the ketchup fights. He thinks that like families while they're like barbecuing would have like fights with ketchup. 
like he would see in a bad made for TV Disney movie when he was a kid. And he's like, Oh, that's what family is. <laughs> and it's like, that's why you kind of let him slide on a lot of his really stupid, really offensive uh, comments. You're like, okay, he just doesn't know better. Cause when he does, when he becomes educated on things, he wants to fix them immediately and almost do a 180 completely. Like when he accidentally uh, uses a homophobic slur in the office and he finds out someone in the office is gay, he wants to discuss the uh, how okay he is with homosexuality in an office setting. Like he wants to, he basically outs the person who he talked about and he tries to get it out there that he's not homophobic. And he's, you can tell he means well, but it's literally the worst thing for that person, for Oscar in the office. And he's embarrassed him and he's put him in a pretty detrimental situation for his identity. So he's always trying too hard. He's never, he never plays it close to the vest. It's just his, his spirit is on a sleeve and that's how he is. Uh, but oddly, he always wants to be the lead. He always wants to be in control. He never really kind of lets other people, even though he, there's other people more qualified. I think he's, I think we all feel that, that we're defensive of our position in life. And, you know, when people try to uh, tell him that this is a better way to do his job, even if they're right, he gets stubborn because he's like, I'm in control because he knows that everyone else is pretty much smarter than him on the face of the earth. And he's kind of, I think he's kind of shocked that he's even in the position of being a manager, but here he is. So there can, it's Highlander. There can be only one. So don't mess with him. I mean, in one episode or there's one story arc where his 15th anniversary as a manager uh, party is being canceled and he loses his mind and quits the office and, you know, tries to create his own Michael Scott paper company and, you know, it seems like an overreaction and it seems crazy, but lo and behold, with his dogged determination and relentlessness, he actually makes the company a reasonable enough success so that he can uh, negotiate his way back into the office. So it's kind of like he digs his own grave and then he gets back to normalcy. And it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. I'm not going to lie. It's like, it's like watching a dog do math. It's like, and you're like, oh my God, he got one right. Out of a hundred, you know, he's like a multiple choice thing, but you're like, that's still impressive. He can hold the pencil. So that's, that's what I compare Michael to. He's a, he's a dog doing math. What kind of dog would he be? Not a smart dog. He'd be like, Hmm, I want to think about this. Cause does it have to look like him or the personality? Cause personality is kind of golden retrievery or Labrador, but he's not nearly as intelligent. I can't think of stupid. He's a pug. There you go. It's like, he's doing his best. <laughs> But, you know, he's been inbred and he's panting really hard and his skull, uh, his skull isn't meant to, his, has been so inbred that they're kind of snoring in a bad way. He's, that's what he is. He's a pug. And he's just a moronic delight. Like he sells his house on eBay for 80% of what he paid for it uh, because he thinks he might land a new job in New York City. Like <laughs> talk about putting, uh, putting the carriage before the horses. You know I mean? He's just... He wants to marry someone on their second date or when he dates one of his, uh, his secretary's mom, he realizes he doesn't realize it's that it's going to be a huge deal. Or when he finds out once one of his uh, employees is in prison or has been in prison, uh, he does this whole prison mic 
he does his whole prison mic uh, presentation, which is him in a, uh, in a bandana kind of talking like a newsies, like I was in prison and, you know, kind of that terrible, you know, New York, fake New York accent. And he goes, the worst thing about prison was the Dementors, you know, from, from Harry Potter. So it's like, he always puts his foot in his mouth, but he keeps on talking. And it's shocking that that's an, a quality that you kind of, that endears you and sucks you into him, that he's always trying. I mean, even when he deals with uh, the former manager of Dunder Mifflin, Ed Truck's death, he's at the beginning, he's like, oh, okay, he died. But then he realizes that people will give him attention because someone he knew passed away. And then by the end of the episode, he's having a full meltdown into what is life, what's his, what's his death going to mean if no one cares about Ed Truck's death, how are people going to remember him? And they end up having a funeral for a bird that died on uh, the office co- in the office complex and like a Viking wedding where they, I mean, a Viking uh, funeral where they burn the, uh, the little funeral box for the little bird. <laughs> and it's like, he goes from zero to 200, you know, so quickly. And got, I mean, in a comedy, that's what you want. You want someone always pushing, always saying yes. I think that's the number one rule of improv is always say yes. So he is definitely, he's, a, I mean, Michael, uh, Steve Carell is a second city of Chicago alum so he's definitely always saying yes always agreeing always trying to get to the next point and i mean he just has he loves sugar more than anything like there's one episode where it's pretzel day and he stands in line all day to get this kind of sugar covered pretzel but he also closes a huge sale by doing a cosby impersonation (laughs) and you know it's just he has these little victories and you're kind of like, yeah, Michael, Oh my God, you pulled that off. Cause he seems like he can't pull anything off. It seems it's amazing that he gets out of bed in the morning and you know, he's got passions. He makes his own little movie called Michael Scarn. Uh, it's like an FBI James Bond kind of movie. And he's not even original enough to come up with a different name for the central lead, you know, Michael and Scarn Scott, you know, pretty close. And he just he flip flops all the time, and but in the end, you can tell he's trying to do good and trying to help those around him and be a friend to everyone because he's he in the beginning he's a very lonely you know kind of sad guy who doesn't understand why he's not more beloved or has more friends or will ever have a girlfriend and you know it's all relatable things that he's kind of the hyperized version of the worst of us the like you know the insecurities that we have he's exposing them he's he's basically the most insecure person on the face of the earth who's also the most outwardly confident and you you see him fail and you can just feel yourself and your emotions about when you have a bad date or when you say when you put your foot in your mouth you're like man i've been there you know what i mean i've I can feel, I can relate to Michael Scott. I think that's why he resonates so heavily with such a large audience is because he's, <laughs> he's trying to find his way in the world and he's stumbling and fumbling his way through it as we all are. Cause you know, we all still feel, you know, I still feel like I'm 18. I don't feel like I've ever, I've grown up. I mean, I feel, I feel like I've grown a little bit, you know, through uh, experience and whatnot, but we all kind of feel like, how the hell do I keep getting older? Because I still feel emotionally on the same the same kind of wavelength I did when I was younger. So that's what Michael Scott is, and that's what he means to me. And I think I think that's why the show still, you know, is hugely popular. I think it's the number one show on Netflix like forever. And when it 
gets off Netflix, I think there's going to be riots. So hopefully it goes to another streaming service so we can all continue watching Michael Gary Scott. And that's all I got to say. I mean, Michael is, Michael is the best. And he's, I mean, I'll leave you with a good quote. He goes, I'm not usually the butt of the joke. I'm usually the face of the joke. And I like that. You know what I mean? He's the face of a joke. He's willing to take it on the face. doesn't matter. Just, just lay it on him. Just let him be embarrassed. He's going to push through. And we should push through. Inspiring. So enjoy your Tuesday.